0: We're in a series uh, and a theme for this year. My theme really is um, walking with God and intimacy with God. And you know, if if nothing else encouraged you to want to develop a relationship with God, 2020 should have, because it was an absolute reminder that everything in this world can shake, there's really only one thing, that you can fully put your trust and your hope in, and that's in the God who's created us and sent His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Saviour. And so this whole series is about developing intimacy with God, and I've called it the Surrender Series. Because to develop intimacy with God, to really walk with God, to know God, to know God's heart, uh, who's worked out that there's generally points of surrender in that journey? Surrender where, where you have to give God the right of way in your life. And today I want to actually talk about a particular topic. Uh, and I'm going to use... This This has also been a, uh, a, uh, a series that I want it to be more story-based, testimony-based. They won't all be mine. I've got other people lined up to come up and share their stories with us. But, uh, but today it's, it's part of my story. And so I, I want to uh, ask you if you could be kind in your opinions... Of my story. Because this is just my story. Uh, And I'm happy to be vulnerable and share it. And I hope that it will bless you. And even if some of the content of the story doesn't particularly relate to you, which will be about 80% of who's sitting here, uh, the principles behind it, I'm sure, will be a blessing to you. And I want to speak about surrendering things. Surrendering things, as in possessions. Surrendering things to God and and I first learned this lesson I guess uh as a very very new follower of Jesus I was 21 years of age and uh from the from the age of 15 I'd been totally immersed in the car scene and that was a pretty natural thing because uh three of my two of my brothers and my father were all tradesmen uh uh my eldest brother was right into speedway the brother immediately above me had a really nice hot fj ute and so it was natural that i got pulled into that scene and i became an apprentice in the motor trade and it wasn't long before my trade skills began to pay off and i could produce really nice cars for myself to enjoy and for my friends and so when I came to Jesus at 21 years of age I was driving what was then considered a smoke and hot car can we have a picture of my 1970 GTR XU1 now it's funny but now that's a thing of beauty I don't care whether you're a Ford person I don't care whether you're not into cars that's a thing of beauty isn't it and uh, funnily enough we've got Keith Lynch here who was in the youth group when I became a Christian and he would remember me rolling up to church and leaving in a cloud of smoke uh, in that car and it it was not exhaust smoke let me tell you Uh, but I gave my life to Jesus it wasn't long before the Holy Spirit began convicting me that the car wasn't for me and and I didn't really understand that I just somehow had this sense that to continue my journey of intimacy with God and obeying him and taking those fledgling steps of discipleship I had to come to a point of surrender with something that was very precious to me with a thing and so I wrestled with that for a while and then eventually I got rid of that and I went from that thing of beauty to this that's right, a baby Pooh Brown E.H. Holden, uh, which uh, back in the well, nowadays is probably worth $20, $25,000, but back then I paid 400 bucks for it. And, uh, and it was a massive step down in ego yeah. that needed to happen, if you know what I mean. And because once I'd actually surrendered, what I realized is that not only was a lot of pride wrapped up in that previous possession, but actually my self esteem. And my identity as a person, my security as a person, was actually wrapped up in a thing. And uh, interestingly, Jesus says, your life does not consist of the things that you own. And so when I surrendered that, of course, uh, I, I just let it go and I thought, that's it. And for 25 years, I never thought again about nice old cars like that. But what I didn't realise, I thought it was just a point of surrender. What I didn't realise is that somehow I'd planted a seed. I'd actually planted a tree that was to bear fruit later on. Now, before I go there, though, I've got to talk to you about the second time I learnt to sort of uh, not, not be, in a sense, possessed by possessions. Um, when I first became a Christian, I'd, already, I'd always loved music. I'd always loved the guitar and used to play it, play it pretty badly and still do. Um, but when I became a Christian, there was a bit of purpose in it. Not just the old you know, country song, but actually worship and leading worship, leading prayer meetings, leading small group meetings. I found that, that an instrument could be a great blessing. So very early on in my Christian walk, I went out and I bought a really nice guitar. It's very old now. It's 30-plus years old, but um, actually it's closer to 40 because it was second-hand when I bought it. And I went out and bought this nice instrument. Some people call them a takamine, some people call them a takamini, uh, but it's actually a Japanese mountain. It's named after uh, takamine. Takamine is what they're actually pronounced as. And I bought this instrument, and, man, did I love music. And I got right into music and developing a musical gift. And it wasn't long before my quiet times turned to jam sessions if you know what I mean and all of a sudden this other thing was growing in my heart and then I went to my first Christian conference at the Gold Coast and uh, we were down there at the Gold Coast and the top of the Pops Christian worship team were there, but way before we'd even heard of Hillsong, it was Scripture and Song and Dave and Dale Garrett, and uh, some people would remember that, wouldn't they, Sandy? And so um, they're down on the Gold Coast, and, uh, and they had a big hit album that all the churches were singing, and one of the people that was on the album was a guy called Ramon Pink, and one night he got up and he sang this song. We place you in the highest place. For you are the great high priest, we place you far above. your feet. And it's a beautiful song. Thank you, thank you, thank you. There will be no encore. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song of surrender. But the problem was he was playing it on a dog of a cheap guitar. And I'm sitting there in this Christian conference looking at a recording artist, the guy that is the lead worship leader probably in the world at that time with a beautiful song he's written, playing it on a dog guitar and I'm sitting there thinking, God, there just seems to be something wrong with this picture. Why has he got such an ugly guitar? And the Holy Spirit said to me so clearly, give him yours. And the interesting thing was, even though we're at the Gold Coast, I had this with me because your idols are never far from you, are they? You tend to keep them with you. And so uh, for the next 24 hours, as the Holy Spirit spoke to me, I kept saying, get behind me, Satan, (laughs) to the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, I just knew that my intimacy, my journey, my sense of spontaneity and leading with the Holy Spirit, I knew it would plateau if I couldn't follow through on that obedience step. So the following night, uh, I met him as he came off the platform, second night of the conference. And uh, I said, mate, I'm not a weirdo. You don't know me from a bar of soap, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly and said, give you this instrument. And so I want to give it to you. No strings attached. This is what I know God wants me to do. I know God wants you to have this. And uh, he said, thank you very much. That's amazing. Um, I'll accept it on one condition, and that is you meet me back here tomorrow night because I want to pray about it. And uh, thank God for man of God. Hey. And the next night... uh, I I, I met him as he came off the platform again and he told me the story of Abraham and Isaac. And it was probably the first time it really meant something to me. And he said, you know, Abraham had to give Isaac up because God wanted to know that he came first in his life. And, uh, And then he gave me the instrument back and he prophesied over me. And he said, because you've taken that out of your heart, God can put it back in your hand. He can trust you. And that's what I want to talk to us about today out of your heart and into your hand what we do with possessions out of your heart and into your hand and in Matthew chapter 6 Jesus addresses this whole scenario this principle so brilliantly he says this and we'll be familiar with his words and that is so do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear For the pagans, and I'll address that term a little bit later, the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you or given to you as well. All these things, what are those things? Things pagans desire to run after. And and I think we do need to address that term because it's got a certain stigma now. It seems to have been used as a label. All scripture, all this meant in Bible days was someone who did not have faith in God, the creator, the one true and living God. That's all it meant. There was no stigma attached. It was a statement of fact. And so here's some of the things that Jesus is actually saying. Number 1, if you run after things, in other words if material possessions are your focus, then you are acting you're not acting like a believer. You're acting like an unbeliever when your security is attached where your identity is attached. This is a very pertinent message for us today. Where your identity is attached to things, you're not actually acting like a believer. You're acting like an unbeliever the second thing I see in this verse is it's okay to possess things but it's not for things to possess you in other words God hasn't got a problem with you having things but he does have a problem with things having you as I said Jesus said your life does not consist of things that you own and that's something that you know I've seen over the years the longer I live uh the people's fortunes rise and fall and sometimes we attach blessing to the rise there's only one problem with that if you have a bit of a fall what are you going to attach that to and Jesus said you I'm sure God wants us to have things and to use things but he doesn't want things to use us And it's all about where your trust is and what comes first. Jesus said, seek first and these things will be added to you. Now, that is totally contrary to a society that has, for example, an advertising um, industry that is worth $1.2 trillion. Last year, they had a bad year because people only spent $517 billion on advertising. And our world tells us the exact opposite. It tries to tell us your life does indeed consist of what you own. And yet Jesus says, no, it doesn't. And rather than going out to grab a bargain, the believer lives in a realm where God can add, where things can be given rather than needing to take or to grab. Isn't that funny? That's a catch cry in our society. Grab a bargain. <laughs> and yet it's so contrary on a, on a very elemental level. And the third thing that I've seen in the scripture is you don't really own anything as a Christian. But you do get to steward everything if you're obedient. You don't own anything. See, it's funny because people bucket the tithing message. Uh, people, a lot of people can't handle the stewardship message. Tithing says, "Give God ten percent." The stewardship message says, "Pray about what you keep," which is more in line with Jesus, as far as I can see. And so, if you have a heart that's open towards God, seeking first the kingdom, God can bring anything you need for you to steward. Just hold it loosely. You can even love it, but hold it loosely. Hold it loosely. Um, so, you know, back to my car story, 25 years later, are you okay? Yeah, that's good. 25 years later, I'm sitting down with a mentor in ministry and I'm sort of like really questioning the value of continuing. I'm sort of burnt out, I'm struggling, I'm overstressed. And I say to this guy who's just got so many more runs on the board and seen so much more than me. I was telling him some of my woes and he said uh, what do you do to relax and de-stress I said I play golf now he's an excellent golfer I knew he'd like the answer but he said would you get up at four o'clock in the morning and play golf with me I said no way in the world like I'd say get behind me Satan once again and uh and he said then what flicks your switch and I'm like what do you mean he said, what would get you out of bed at 4 a.m. in the morning? That was easy for me. I didn't really need to think about it, even though I hadn't really thought about it for many years. What would get me out of 4 a.m., uh, bed at 4 a.m. in the morning was either a mob of wild pigs or an old car sitting in a shed. Sorry about the pig's analogy. It's just the truth, okay? And so that's what I said. And he said, you need to do that. Forget everything else. Do what flicks your switch. That's how you need to recharge and re-energize. So I told Sue that. And a couple of weeks after I said to Sue, you know what, if, um, if I see another old car, like what I used to have, I- I'm going I'm I- to get it. I'm just going to get it. And a couple of weeks later, we are having breakfast, without a word of a lie, we're having breakfast at the coffee club in uh, Victoria Street, and this little car pulls up outside. Can we have a look at the, uh, the white one? This little car pulls up outside, and, uh, and when the owner went back to it, I went over and met him, and I said, mate, do you want to sell your car? He said, no, I don't. I said, if you did, how much would you want for it? And he told me a price that literally made me almost fall to the pavement. I could not believe how much these things had gained in value in the 25 years of my absence. So this is a... It doesn't look it, but it's a classic Australian muscle car, even though it's just a little entry-level one. Anyway, uh, I just said to him, look, I'll give you my number, and if you ever want to sell give me a call, maybe my circumstances have changed, because I'm a family man, I can't afford that. Anyway, uh, maybe, I don't know, a year or two later, the church gets a phone call. My PA at the time is like, there's someone on the phone that wants to talk to you about a Tarana, and I'm like, give me the phone. I go in, he's ready to sell, and I said, well mate, the only problem is, I told you, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a big budget guy, I'm a family man, so how much do you want for it? And he gave me a price that was a, just a little bit over half what he'd originally quoted me. And I bought it, boom, like that. And I was as happy as a pig in mud. I was having the midlife crisis I'd, already, I'd always dreamed of having. Um, and so I had this old car again and it felt so good and it was so refreshing in my day off to get that out, smoky old beast that it was, and go for a drive. I just loved it. And then my nephew rang me and he said, I know where one of those things is, is in a shed. So I went around, visited the guy, long story short, it wasn't long before I was trailering that the heck out of his shed and into mine and then into Greg Phillip's spray booth where I put my overalls on and got back to my trade skills and made it what it always was meant to be. And so now I've got two of these things and I'm like, this is pretty amazing, my car tree... Is bearing a lot of fruit, wouldn't you say? Are you with me? Uh, uh, Has anyone else here ever had a dream like you know? Well, well, these weren't mine. As good as they were, you know. If I, if if, if Jesus said to me, "What do you really want?" I would have said this, and I went out and bought one—the little one in a box. (laughs) So that's a toy car, but that's a 1970 LC GDR XU1 in Plumdinger purple. And that was by heart's desire. So I bought that model as a visioning exercise, sat it on my kitchen bench, and for years... Anyone who was on the team in the, in the Audis here would remember this car sitting in my bench because people would often say, ''What are you doing?'' With that little car, Pastor Chris. And I'd say, I'm believing God's going to bring this into my world at some point. I'm not going out chasing it. I believe it's going to come to me. And people would have a little bit of a laugh at my expense. And then I'd remind them that I've got two downstairs in a market where you can't get these things. They're not on car sales anymore. They're in auction houses. Anyhow, um, blow me down. I'm at work one day and uh, have a headache. It was st- I still remember it was a staff meeting. Had a headache, I had to go home. I just had a bell ringer. And I went home and I lost the headache. And when I lost the headache, I, uh, I got on the internet and I went on carsales.com and just for a look. And there was an LC GDRXU1 in Plumdinger had been listed two hours previously. I rang that guy, long story short, went to Brisbane straight away and purchased that car for fifteen thousand dollars less than what it was listed, which was about a th- well, more than a third of what it was listed for, and uh, and drove it home from Brisbane that afternoon, and I had my plumdinger one that seemed to have come and found me by all intents and purposes. And now I've got three of these and I can't believe what I've got sitting under my house. And people who knew me and people who specially knew the car scene could not believe. And when people would ask me, how did, you, how did you get that? I'd just say, God brought it to me because years ago I got cars out of my heart and now God can put them in my hand. Then guess what exciting thing happened next? Can we have a look at the next one? That's the preliminary sketch of this building. And, uh, and of course, we began raising funds towards that for a number of years. We were having heart for the house offerings. And soon I had given and given and then got to a point where, you know, the next one come round, we didn't have anything else to sell. Except, and the Lord spoke to me out of Luke 19, where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem for the final time and he sends his disciples to get a, a donkey for him. And, um, and he basically says to them, if, if, if anyone asks you why you're untying the donkey and bringing him back here, you just say the Lord has need of him. And God spoke to me so clearly. So for the next couple of years, year by year, a car was liquidated. And, and, and I don't know, you could be sitting on a of purple seat right now <laughs> because it, you know the, the actual investment funds from those went into this building. And you know what, can I just say, I have never resented God for it. I've never held that thing in my heart. I got to the end of that season in my life, thought it was all over, and all I could think of was, wow... I got to experience something that I never thought I would ever experience. I had this foray into the car scene, and that purple car went about six years ago, so they were all gone by then. I had a foray. It was exactly what I needed for my midlife crisis. It was exactly what I needed for my stress levels. God, you are so good, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And, uh, And the kingdom was advanced out of your heart and into your hand. And as I said, I never thought... It'll be back there. And this is another testimony, like I've got a guitar tree as well that I could speak all day about, but I won't. This is another testimony that here I find myself six years later with, again, a stable full of these cars. One of the most expensive on them was gifted to me. Out of your heart, into your hand. Seek first and things that pagans run after. Uh, someone come up to me after the first service, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, you know, when you're talking about old Tiranas and stuff like that, you could make that translation Bogans. <laughs> things <laughs> that Bogans desire to run after will be added to you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the important thing is this. I'm just talking about things. And things aren't important. Whether it's cars, guitars, or anything else, that's not the important thing. What God's actually interested in is in our heart. And what I have to say to us is, I'm not saying, you know, give stuff away, give things away and God will add those things back to you and even more. Because God's not a get-rich-quick scheme. He's not a heavenly poker machine. You're not playing the odds. It's not a formula. It's a relationship. Where if we, I am convinced, what I am saying is if we can keep our hearts free of things, God is able to bless us in amazing ways beyond what I ever thought would be possible. And this is just my story. Most of you are sitting there going, I couldn't give a rip about those things. Oh, if you knew how much they were worth, you might get more of a rip. But but that's not what I'm talking about. The thing I'm talking about is our heart. Where are our hearts at when it comes to things? Because if we want to walk with God with intimacy, if we really want to know him, then it requires a sensitivity. And if you build a sensitivity in your life, I'm telling you right now, surrender isn't far behind that. Well, you'll find yourself in situations, and the funny thing is, often it said, you know, I did the right thing and it felt so good. It didn't feel so good giving that guitar away. It didn't feel so good selling those cars again. I, was, I thought I would never see another one. But the tree continues to bear fruit. And if it stops bearing fruit, I'll just be happy I had a tree. Wow. <laughs> Not resentful yeah. that it stopped. Because again, it's all about the heart. Can I ask us just a couple of questions then? Yeah. Concerning things for us. So, first one is, what is your relationship with things? The things you have in your life. What's your relationship to them? Would you say you hold them or that they hold you? You hold them or that they hold you. Where where is your security? Security in God and seeking his kingdom. Believing that you will always have whatever you need for whatever season you find yourself in. Second question is, is there a no-go area in your heart for God? Is there a no-go area? And look, honestly, I want to really make this point very clearly at the end of this message. I'm not saying I've always got it right. I'm just sharing a couple of testimonies from my journey. I, I, I full well know what I'm asking when I've asked this because I know the amount of times that the Holy Spirit has convicted me and I'm tempted to say, don't go there. Lord, you can have everything except that. Lord, I give you everything except that. So is there a no-go area? But what what I've found is overwhelmingly, when I've had the grace to obey, it's always borne fruit. It's always, even when I've let go of things, it's brought more security into my life than what I ever had. Because my trust is in him. There's a transfer of security from things that rust and burn and get stolen (laughs) regularly, those things, to something that's eternal, that stretches beyond the shaking of current circumstances, stretches beyond the current financial market, stretches beyond even relationships that you might be so invested in that you think you could never live without them. Is your life a river where resource flows or a dam where resource accumulates? Is your life a river where resource flows or is it a dam where it accumulates? And lastly, what seeds are you sowing now that will bear fruit in the future? I, I never, when I got surrendered that first car, And that first guitar, as I said, I've got a guitar tree too, got a house tree, got a few trees going. But when I got to that point of surrender, I did not think I was sowing a seed. I thought I was just waving something goodbye. You know what I mean? I just, because there was no strings attached. It was okay, God, it's gone, it's done. But I think because there was a genuine surrender there, it actually tripped something else, a kingdom principle and instead of me chasing things, it's how it should be. Things chase me. Do you want to be a chaser of things or do you want things to chase you? It's maybe another good, good question. So what, what, are you, what are you sowing now? What trees are you planting now that you will eat from in the future? You know, a year ago or so, I preached a message. Anyone who's here would remember it, but it was on my regret that I hadn't planted an avocado tree where we currently live because I never thought we'd live there so as long as we have we were just you know moving from house to house and trying to pick up a bit of money as we went and then we just lobbed into this place and I thought as much as I love avocados and as expensive as they are I'm not going to bother planting a tree because it takes a couple of years for them to bear fruit and I wish I'd planted a tree because we've been there 18 or 19 years now Two people bought me avocado trees out of that and said, you should plant one, Pastor Chris. So I did. I've got two avocado trees in my backyard. One of them is currently like this tall. The other one is only this tall and it bore fruit. I had to actually cut, trim the fruit so it would keep growing. But it's like next year and the year after, they're looking like I'm never going to have to buy an avocado again. I'm eating from a tree that I planted four years ago and my only regret is I didn't plant it a lot sooner. What are you planting today? What are you sowing today? What are you surrendering today? Is it a relationship that needs to be surrendered so that you reap what God's really got for you? Now, I'm not talking to married people there. Okay. But you know what I mean. You understand what I mean. Sometimes we just grab a bargain and we miss what God actually has for us. Can I, could I pray for us today? Why don't we all stand? Are you okay? Oh, I know that was a lot of stories, but it was really only one thing, wasn't it? If you keep your heart free, God is well able to provide for you. Father, I thank you for every heart, every life in this place. And we commit ourselves to you. And, and I just ask for the grace. In this season where we're focused on surrender, Father, give us the grace by your spirit to surrender, to recognize the moments to recognise when you're speaking to us very clearly and, and to go with it, to have the faith to move with it into a point of surrender that unwittingly sets our future up. And I pray for that, for each and every one of us, Father, help us to, to step forward boldly with faith, and courage and surrender what needs to be surrendered so that our identity and our security is just totally in you in Jesus name amen if you're here today and and you know maybe today's been a bit fresh a bit new the relationship with God walking with God thing the whole you know Jesus can provide thing it's not new to me because I've walked it for 35 years but it might be new for you and and just right now if you just have a sense in your heart man I want to join my life to God's life I, I want to follow Jesus the way that you're talking about following Jesus. Then you can just make that decision right where you stand. Just right now, just open your heart and in your own words, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Help me to follow you. Help me to know what that means, to know you and to follow you. And if you just do that authentically, friend, that's that's what becoming a Christian is. It's that simple. It's a point of surrender the most critical one you'll ever make you can surrender your heart to Jesus this morning so just right now take these moments closing moments if that's you come to a point of surrender for others you know that there's something right now in your life it might be a thing it might be a person it might be an attitude but you know God is saying surrender it give it up give it over I just encourage you take that step of faith you'll never regret it thanks Pastor Sue